Well, Ordinary Faith, I don't know where you're at today, or friends of Ordinary Faith. Maybe you're at home watching on YouTube. Maybe you are uh, on your phone. Maybe you're listening in. I don't know, but hey, it's good to be together in whatever way that we can. I realize these are challenging times. I really wanted to figure out a way to do church through the month of April as together as possible. We were working on a drive-in church idea, and it was a great experience. It was actually very encouraging. Uh, we had wonderful connections with Al Harris of the Radio Network, uh, Larry Lloyd from the Sweetwater Events Complex, with Debbie Orr at White Mountain Mall, and everyone was excited and way ready to help. However, when we went and talked to the Sweetwater County COVID-19 response team, they strongly discouraged against drive-in church. Um, the situation is just accelerated and they're just trying to protect everybody. And even though I, w I don't really like the decision, I really appreciate those people serving in those roles and serving our community. And I realize that we're in I in their position uh, I would probably have to make decisions that others d didn't like either. So I really want to honor them and support them and, and pray for them. So actually, let's stop right now and pray for a second. Father God, thank you. You're so good. And no matter what we see around us in our circumstances, that does not come against who you are and how good you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our church and that you would strengthen the body, and that through this season where we cannot gather as the body, that you would strengthen us, that we would gather as households and as friends, and we would worship you mightily, and that through this experience, our worship would just excel. Father, we pray for our community leaders, our mayor, our um, leaders that are trying to protect us from this virus, from our many business and community leaders. I just pray for them and ask you, Lord, to give them wisdom and protect their hearts, protect their courage as they have to make many decisions that are often unpopular. I just pray that you would bless them. And I pray that you would let them know that we at Ordinary Faith and that the Christians in this community love them and support them. Thank you for this chance to meet online today. And in whatever ways that we can, whether it's by phone or Zoom or however we do it, I just pray that you would bless those meetings and Jesus would be honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me in prayer. Listen, I don't know if you remember, some of you may and some of you came along after, but Ordinary Faith actually began as a house church. And we loved being a house church in so many ways because each household took full responsibility for their faith and for their growth in the Lord. And so here God has brought a season that many faiths call Lent, and we're coming up on a week called Holy Week, and God has, I don't know if you'd say, I don't think He caused this, but in, through this, He's going to work good out of it. And one of the good things that He's going to work out is that our calendars have been cleared off to a degree, our busyness has been cleared off to a degree, Basically, we have been had a Lent season imposed upon us. And so uh, in that season, I just want to encourage you to, to take your family, your household, whether you're a dad, a mom, a single mom, 
whatever you can. Take your household closer to Jesus right now. Read the Bible with your kids. Get a children's Bible and read it with your younger kids. Read the, the story of Jesus this week. Read the crucifixion into the resurrection as we prepare for Easter online. And another thing that you could do this week is you take your children through that and, and pray. By the way, just pray every day as a family. Pray with your kids. Pray with your spouse. But as you get closer to it, one thing I would like to ask you to do is next Sunday, Easter Sunday, I'd like to have communion online. I'm going to ask Pastor Longfellow if he would lead that for us. And uh, I, I'm, so if you could get some grape juice or something, water, it doesn't matter, but some crackers, something so that we could take communion together online. We'll do that as a body. Uh, and so I just hope that you'll join us for that and get the word out, help us get the word out. And, and so anyway, I know there's a lot of problems to uh, challenges to our current situation, but also, you know, we're the church. Wherever we are, Jesus is. Where two or three are gathered together. Our hope is not in our circumstances, our bank accounts, the decisions of others. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll think about those things. I hope that they'll encourage you. And I just ask you to do it. Another thing I'm thinking about, if you, uh, if you want to message me, if you're interested in helping, is maybe some Zoom prayer rooms, prayer room Zooms. I don't know what to call them and it doesn't matter, but maybe some folks would be willing to hang out in a, a Zoom room and uh, be available to pray with people. I, I don't know. Uh, if that's even a good idea, it's just one I've, I'm kind of praying on right now. Let me know what you think. Either probably message me uh, or you could leave a comment and, and maybe tag me in or something. All right. We're, what are we doing? What are we doing for April? So we're going to start the series I had originally planned. Uh, and it's called Altar. And I think it's going to be perfect for where we are. I Again, I wish... I wish we were in the same room. I wish we could just connect in that way that we do each Sunday. But this is what we get to do. And I thank God for this privilege. I mean, really. A hundred years ago, when the Spanish flu was happening, churches didn't have this available to them. And so thank God for this, right? So we're talking about the altar series. Or we're talking about altar. That's the name of the series. You see, in the Old Testament, there were a lot of altars. All the patriarchs, when I say patriarchs, I'm talking about the founding fathers of the Israeli nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, those guys. All of them had their altars. Uh, Noah, when he came out after the flood, he built an altar and sacrificed an animal before God. Abraham built altars and worshiped God. Isaac, Jacob, all of these guys built these altars before God. And what they usually did was they marked a turning point in their lives. They marked a point where they were letting go of a past to embrace a future. So that's what I want us to do today. I want us to, to consider the one, the altar that forgives us. And forgiveness is about forgiving our past, the things that could go wrong in our future even, the things that are broken about us, and letting those things go into the mercy and grace of God. So today I want to look at the Passover because I believe it freed the nation of Israel from bondage. <clears throat> and I want to look at the Day of Atonement that freed the nation of Israel from their own stubbornness if they would have allowed it. Okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. 
Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. You see, that we have an altar is the phrase I want you to see in that verse. We have an altar that's special. You see, the Old Testament, the, the priests ate from the altar, and that we'll, we'll approach that in another message. But I just want you to see we live from a different place, and, and we are going to be talking about today the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We're going to remind ourselves of the amazing story that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, and that love and that sacrifice will free us from our past and change our futures. This is critically important. If the world needs anything right now, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. They could discover um, some kind of vaccination tomorrow, a cure tomorrow. But if people don't get connected, if they don't meet Jesus Christ, if they don't discover what God has done for them, they'll just live until they die. And then they'll stand before God in judgment and there will be no hope for them. This is an opportunity, as every day that we get to breathe is an opportunity. But this is an opportunity in which circumstances have opened people's eyes to their mortality and their need for God, usually. This is an opportunity to share the gospel. So today we're going to look at some Old Testament anchorings of the gospel, and then we're going to talk about the gospel and share the gospel with ourselves among ourselves, to prepare ourselves to share that gospel with others. And if you are sitting there listening to this today, and, and again, I, I can see that happening. This is a very safe way to go to church if you uh, don't know much about church and you haven't been before. As you go through this, I, I, if you've never been, never heard this thing called the gospel, and you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a great day to tune in. Because today you're going to find out how to let go of yesterday and embrace tomorrow how to let go of all that's broken, to embrace all that God has made whole and renewed. So as we talk about this altar that forgives us, let's, let's go back and quickly review a portion of a, a very powerful and significant child story. C.S. Lewis wrote the amazing Narnia series. And he, he, the first one that I read was the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, anyone who's a fan of the series knows that's not actually the first story in sequence, but it was one that's very significant. Now, in that story, we have a young man named Edmund who basically betrays everyone, his beloved sister who's so sweet, the, the wonderful land of Narnia. He betrays everybody and, and basically is a traitor because he... He wanted, I'm going to call them the witch's treats. C.S. Lewis called them called it the Turkish delight. But the witch lured Edmund in and offered him this treat that he loved so much that he basically sold his soul, sold his family, and sold Narnia to get more of it. Now what happened when he did that was he ended up in bondage. He ended up imprisoned by his own desire for the witch's treats. In order to be set free, Aslan had to go to the stone table and die for Edmund to purchase his freedom. And then Aslan rose from the dead and overcame the wicked witch. 
Now, if you've read the story, you know that I have really just hit the high points of it. But it's a great story because C.S. Lewis ingeniously captures the plight of mankind. We have just desired the treats of the enemy, the, the, the things that feel good in the moment, the things that we want to do. And they have lured us away from a God who loves us, adores us, and imprisoned us. Those desire for our own way have imprisoned us. And so we are all in bondage in a way. And God had to do something extreme and severe to free us. So we are going to look at how God freed the nation of Israel and look at that as to how God frees us as well. <clears throat> then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses, and no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. So when God came to set the nation of Israel free, they were in bondage. They were in bondage to Egypt, who was a cruel and oppressive master. And they cried out to God because of the cruelty of Egypt. And God is coming now to answer their prayers and to set them free. Now, how God's going to set them free is he's going to bring the natural consequences of sin to bear against the nation of Egypt. Consequences of sin that are actually everyone owes because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that statement in Romans uh, 6.23 is basically just an, a summary of the reality presented throughout the entire Old Testament, that where there is sin, death must follow. And so God's going to bring death to the nation of Egypt, which is horrifying. But here's the thing you got to realize. Everybody in Egypt and in Israel deserves to die because everyone's guilty of sin for all have sinned and fallen short of the kingdom of God. Everybody went after the witch's treats, so to speak, as C.S. Lewis tried to capture it by a metaphor. And so <clears throat> in that in that bondage, understand that God chooses to set His people free by bringing the natural consequences to bear and yet freeing His people and not having them pay the penalty of the wages of sin and death. Instead, they were to take a lamb or a goat and kill it and put its blood on the door. And then when God came through, the natural consequences of sin would destroy one nation and free another. So, we get to the end of this and the nation of Israel is free. Well, that's super cool, right? Well, yes, they're free. They're free of the bondage of Egypt. But we're about to soon learn, as they take the journey, that the problem was bigger than the external oppression of Egypt. That there was an inner rebellion because they, they come out of, out of Egypt and they're standing at the Red Sea. The nation of Egypt comes after them and they start freaking out. They have no, even though God just freed them, they think he's going to ditch them. He's not going to help them now. So God takes them through the Red Sea and destroys the Egyptian army. Now Paul calls that their baptism and I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
they come out of that baptism and then they start heading to Mount Sinai where they get the law. Well, they break the law before the stones are even cool after God wrote the commandments on them. They make they basically replace God less than a month after God's delivered them from Egypt twice. And so there's just still this, even though the external oppression's gone, the internal rebellion is still there. On that mountain of Sinai, God gives Moses the law, but also the instructions and details for tabernacle worship. And so almost a year, well, a year later, after they had escaped Egypt, the tabernacle's constructed, and it's anointed, and they have the Day of Atonement come. And so I would say the Passover released them from bondage, but the Day of Atonement released them from rebellion or gave them a way uh, to escape the rebellion, whether they took it or not. Let's read God's instructions. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement's there, and I myself am present in a cloud, in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. You see, even though God had freed them through the Passover, the sacrifice, that altar, so to speak, where a young lamb or goat was killed and the blood was put on the door, the rebellion still stood. I mean, they argued with God and Moses at the Red Sea. They argued again when the water was bad, when they got through the Red Sea. They argued when there was no food. They griped and complained. There were all kinds of leadership clashes during their journey in the wilderness. There was another water incident. There was an incident with quails. There was grumbling. Just over and over, even though the people were freed from bondage, uh, the bondage of Egypt, they they still benefited from being in Egypt while they were there. So when they got free from the oppression, they forgot about the oppression and only remembered the good things, the, the food that was easily supplied to them and the provision that was made. And, and so the, the Day of Atonement comes along and teaches us that getting free from your past is awesome, but there's more to it, that there's an inner rebellion in us that, that has to continue continue on. And so I think the Day of Atonement was actually about the future, was about living into tomorrow. And it teaches us that the problem is bigger than our past. It's bigger than just being forgiven. It's bigger than just having some kind of clean slate to start all over again. We need more than that. If God just forgave us and said, okay, all your past sins are forgiven. Now, from now on, live right no one would be saved. No one would get it right. The nation of Israel couldn't do it, and we can't do it either. So if that's your theology, if you think that's how God works with us and, and wants to be with us, then, then realize something. Jesus said you must be born again. We, we don't need to be just forgiven and given a clean slate. We need to be remade. We don't need a reformation of the soul. We need to rebirth. We need to become something else entirely. Because getting the nation of Israel out of Egypt is one thing, but getting Egypt out of the nation of Israel, now that's a that's another matter. And, and so 
What's God to do? Does God just do two acts of grace? An act that frees us and an act that empowers us for the future? Or how is he going to approach that, that very thing? How is God going to set his sons, which is what he called Israel and he calls you and me, how will he set them free? For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So I just want you to see that the cross frees us from our past. You see, Jesus came to accomplish what Israel could not. Jesus had a wilderness experience too. He didn't complain in that wilderness experience. He actually just went hungry for the glory of God. And when Satan tempted him in that wilderness to, to supply his own need and operate out of his own effort and, and human strength, he doesn't do that. Instead, he continues to trust God. Jesus lived his life perfectly. He never complained. He simply waited. He knew God's goodness, and, and he knew God would provide. He always trusted. He never rejected. Sometimes he asked for clarification, that's to be sure, but he always surrendered to what the Father desires. Because, you see, that's how a son of God behaves. A son of God follows the Father, allows the Father to be the Father in his life. Now, when Jesus overcame all those things, you know, he overcame the wilderness, overcame the oppression of others, overcame the assaults of others and the insults of others, he beat all that stuff. And so his victory was for us, and his victory is enough for all of us. So our, so in Jesus, in doing that, he overcame our persecutor, our wicked witch, if you will. He beat the enemy, the devil, the, the accuser, whatever name you want to call him, and he set us free. Our bondage is ended. Our past is once and forever removed. We no longer need to live in bondage to our past. Uh, today, our story can start anew. Today, the power of sin is broken in our lives. Today, right now, we have this victory that has been given to us, this new life that's within us, that's manifest, that can manifest in us. Do you remember that story of um, oh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san, uh, the karate kid? I'm, and I'm thinking of the first one because I'm old, and I, I know there was a, one done a few years ago, but still, Remember he had him painting the fence and waxing the car and every day Daniel San's out there just working, you know, and just doing the job that Mr. Miyagi has him to do. And finally, one day he gets enough of it and he's like, nope, all I'm doing, all I am is paying you to be your slave or all I am is your slave. 
And in that moment, Mr. Miyagi like throws a punch at him. And he, if I remember correctly, he might have said wax on or wax off or paint the fence or something first. But then the, the young boy throws up a block. And so what happened was what we learned is that all the while that Daniel is painting the fence and waxing the car, he's actually being taught muscle memory to reaction. He doesn't even know it's there. He's being trained this and he doesn't know it's there. And, and you're like, what does this have to do? Well, God put Jesus in you. And, and so now within you, you have this spiritual muscle memory, so to speak. It's there. And so now you have the ability, you have the power, the quote-unquote muscle memory to overcome sin, to overcome fear, to overcome depression in your life. You, you have been set free of everything that's broken with you, everything that was wrong with your past and that is even affecting your future. All of that is covered in the cross of Jesus. So just like in, in the, the Lord of the Rings series where there was one ring to rule them all, now in the Bible, we find that there's one altar over all of the altars. The, the, that altar is Jesus Christ's life, death, and sacrifice on the cross. <clears throat> so these altars, they move us out of bondage, out of our rebellion, and into freedom. And so, how does a person today let go of their past and walk into freedom? How do we move forward? And that's where we look at the gospel. Because yes, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, that's, that's what Holy Week's about. But actually entering into that, receiving that, learning to live in that, that's the gospel. It, the gospel isn't just a, a story we tell, a sermon we preach at ourselves. The gospel is that truth about Jesus being lived out and lived through our lives. Brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If you want to come to the altar, and I do, and not just, I, I, I want to spend my life living from the altar that Jesus provided, but that's another message. If you want to lift the altar, here's what you do. First thing, you got to let go of your past. You have to release your past. You see, our actions, apart from Jesus, are terrible and corrupt. Our actions, apart from Jesus, are terrible and corrupt. And you know, and that's, boy, that flies in the face of humanity, our human heart. We really want to think that we're basically good, that we... You know, on our own, we, we'd get along okay. We just need a little God help every so often. But we don't understand the gravity of this thing that the Bible calls sin. You see, we like to call sin mistakes. But if they were mistakes, we could rectify them. We could fix them. We could heal the damage that they caused. So this isn't about Jesus dying for our mistakes. It's about Jesus dying for our sins. And we really need to connect with the gravity of that. How serious it is that we sin, that we rebel against God's simple truth. I mean, you know, what if you just took the Ten Commandments and looked at your life and, and asked yourself, do I lie? Do I steal? Do I cheat? Do I, uh, do I dishonor God and take His name in vain? And there are others. What if we just took those and applied them to our life? We have to be honest that we break God's law all the time. 
And James teaches us that God's law is one thing. If, like the Ten Commandments, in James' mind, in the book of James, the Ten Commandments are not ten laws. They are one law. And to break one law, to lie in any degree, is to break the whole law. And we need to understand the gravity of that. And we need to own it. And we need to feel the remorse for that and realize that we have done wrong, but not for the purpose of wallowing in it. I need you to hear me right now. Not Feeling bad does not save you. Worldly sorrow doesn't help. What saves you is realizing the gravity of what has or has not been done in your life and going to God with it and releasing it into His forgiveness and into His grace. God has done everything necessary to forgive all of your junk. I don't care how bad it is. But you still have to turn and release it into His grace. This is the beginning of the gospel. This is step one. I have to own it. Have to see it for how painful and broken it is and release it into God's hands, into God's forgiveness, into God's grace. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. <laughs> my past, my past is so bad that God's Son had to die on my behalf. My past is so bad that God's Son had to die for me. My pride is so horrible. My pride that teaches me to believe that God doesn't love me is so bad that God had to actually send His Son to die for my pride. I have been such a liar I have said that God didn't care about me or my family. And that was so bad that God's son had to die for me. You see, this is serious. But the point isn't to wallow. The, the point isn't to just feel bad. The, the remorse is a means to an end. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. When I was a kid, I grew up in Tennessee, and that's why I sound Southern a lot. <laughs> and especially in the spring or maybe early summer, you know, there'd be places that water had set and soured the mud. I don't know if you've ever got your hands in or stepped in sour mud before, but it it's awful. It's, it's almost as bad as manure. But I remember there were places on, on the farm next to our house when I was a little boy that that mud would get sour. And if you accidentally stepped in it, man, you just couldn't get that stuff off. And that's how my past is. I'd love to get rid of it. But... I can't clean it off. I can't let it go. I can't change. It's forever impacting how I live now and how I live in the future as long as I'm the one trying to address it and I won't let it go into God's forgiveness and grace. <clears throat> so we have to begin 
by releasing our past. And then we have to crucify the rebel or the liar. The Bible says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The Bible calls him the, the old man, the flesh, the, that marred thing we were born and lived in, and, and that is not good. And we have to realize that that old part of us cannot be reformed. God doesn't want us to do better. He wants us to go to the cross and experience the crucifixion of Jesus Christ upon that nature. God has no plans to save the quote-unquote old man. God's plan was that you and I be crucified with Christ, that we be put on the cross with Him, and that old broken part of ourselves be ended. you, you got to understand, God isn't trying to reform you. He's trying to end all that's wrong with you so that you and I can be reborn, resurrected. And that's what Easter's about, but we'll talk about that next week. What God put Jesus through on the cross is exactly how God feels about that old, broken, condemned you. That's the wrath and the condemnation God has toward that. And you say like, well, man, that sounds harsh. <laughs> that God would, would want to harm and crucify and kill a part of me. It doesn't sound harsh when you realize what comes out of that part of you. Let's, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, there's no place for that old you in the kingdom of God. That old you destroys people, destroys families, destroys churches, destroys governments. It's like a cancer in our world that cannot be cured. It can only be crucified. This is what's wrong with the world. Old you, <laughs> old me, living in a way that's all about me and put, uh, putting me on the throne of my life. That old you without Jesus is the problem, and so that old you has got to go to the cross. So if I'm going to enter in and start living from a new altar, I got to release the past, but I also got to crucify the liar. I got to, I got to let that broken part of me go to the cross and see it there and realize that that is God's answer for my broken condition to end it, kill it, bury it, and be done with it. It sounds very final, right? It should be very final because that is what God has promised. Because only in doing that are we set free enough to focus on that one thing, Jesus, giving up on ourselves, giving up on that personal reformation and embracing the hope that's in Him. So, release your past Crucify the liar or the, the rebel, and then enthrone the Lord Jesus. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, 
And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Why do I say enthrone the Lord Jesus in your life? Well, because living in sin, so to speak, equals I am God. It equals that thinking. I make the decisions. I decide what's right and wrong. I stand in judgment of God even. I decide how well he's running the universe. I am God. Where salvation is when I step down from the throne. And I say, nope, I'm not God. I'm that broken rebel condemned and crucified with Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's who I was. And I turn to God and I enthrone Father God in my life. Now, I would argue violently that personal that we are personally responsible for our lives. And, and if I had time to get political, which I don't, I would argue that um, in order for a people to be free, they have to be personally responsible. And if they can be personally responsible, they can't be free. And so, even though I do believe in personal responsibility, I believe our personal responsibility is to live under the rule and reign of Father God and to do what He says and to live in obedience to Him and submission to Him. And I, I believe that because of how Jesus lived His life, who ultimately stated over His own existence, not my will, but your will's God. And so that's what we, we need to realize and understand. We need to enthrone God in our lives. And that means that we follow His lead, we follow His word, and that we follow His spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5.25, which we've already been in Galatians, but He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You see, <clears throat> I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about an awakening that transitions you from a life that is enslaved by your past and that a life that is empowered by a rebellion against God that's within you, and that sets you free. The gospel sets you free from that bondage and rebellion, and it moves you into this amazing future where that part of you is ended, where the rebellion is over, and where you are living as a son of God, empowered by the life of Christ, which I'll focus on that more next week on our Easter message because that's what the resurrection is about, living by Christ's life. But today our focus is actually moving and living from the altar that forgives us. And so that brings us cleanly into the, the whole point of this message. <laughs> Have you repented of your past and sins and made Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you enthroned God as your God? Or are you still your own God? As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was a, an part of an incredible plan of redemption. God's will was to grant forgiveness. God's plan was to grant forgiveness to all those who would repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Just like the Israelites had to select a lamb, kill it, and put its blood on the door, and then stay in the house and not come out, that's exactly what we do. We come to Jesus Christ. God has sacrificed the lamb, Jesus. His blood is 
covers all our sins and our mistakes and sets us free and we escape the wrath of God, the judgment of God that comes upon all those who don't turn to Him. And in His wrath and judgment, He frees those who listen to Him and turn to Him, just like the nation of Israel. So my question is, Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever repented of your sins, released your past? Have you ever allowed God to end that part of you? And have you ever enthroned Christ as your Lord? Now, before I'm done, I'm asking you to specifically remember it right now. I want to get past all the murky, mystical, Christian, churchy ideas out there. Because I've had people tell me many times over the years, well, I've just always been a Christian. Or I went to church, or my parents were Christians, or yeah, I'm an American and all Americans are Christians. Guys, I'm not asking you if your parents were Christians. I'm not asking you if you've always lived like a Christian or always gone to church. I'm asking you if you've ever had a moment in your life. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you released where you released your past and, and released into God's grace, this, if you ever hit that point where you made that decision and had that defining moment that said, from this day forward, God is my God. I am no longer my God. I don't know what it may have looked like, but I'm asking, do you remember an altar in your life that changed you? And you knew that when you went through that experience, that God was your God and you had let go of your past into His forgiveness and grace. Now, I hope most of you have. I hope most of you have. But if you haven't, then I'm going to ask you to trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Like right now, let's pray something. Maybe you could pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. I know there are lots of things wrong with me. And I know that your Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But I also know that you so love the world that you sent Jesus to die for me. And that you demonstrated your love by Jesus on the cross. And I need no other proof than the cross of Jesus to know that you love me. And so God, right now, I... I release all that's wrong with me and all the brokenness into your forgiveness and grace. And Father, I declare you as God of my life and Jesus as Lord of my life. And I live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you could pray something like that. And maybe you're out there and you have prayed something like that, but you know your life doesn't show that right now. That you're not letting that Holy Spirit that's in you live out the life of Christ that's within you. And so I want to encourage you to to remember that we live from an altar of forgiveness. We live from an altar of hope. And I want to challenge you to go right back to the altar. Release your past again. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible says, today. And so it doesn't matter what happened yesterday and tomorrow is not in focus yet. But today matters. And today you can let go of whatever it is and you can release it into God's goodness and you can walk out of that in the freedom and hope of Father God. 
Guys, this is the gospel. It's been a, a, a more theological approach. It's come from an Old Testament view into a New Testament view, but it's still the gospel. And this is the story the world needs to hear. God loves you, sent His Son to die for you, but you must release all that's wrong and broken into His <clears throat> forgiveness and grace. And you must declare Jesus, enthrone Jesus as Lord of your life. This is the gospel, and, and as people do that and turn to that, they find real hope because they meet a real God. Hey, have an amazing Holy Week. Get ready for Easter. It doesn't matter how bad the news gets this week. Next Sunday, the tomb will still be empty. <laughs>